0: welcome to one and all as well as for those that are part of our live stream today it's a privilege to be able to worship the lord with you it's father's day as well as lord's day we want to be able to pull together the idea of the earthly father and his representation of the heavenly father this morning to do that i'd love for you to take your bible and turn with me to the order of the two testaments to the book of deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll be looking at a portion of Deuteronomy chapter 6 today. The uh, uh, first nine verses as well as verse 20-25. through While you're turning there, to help us understand a little better, the Older Testament is written in Hebrew, while Newer Testament is written in Greek. I remember when I began my graduate school studies and I had to learn Hebrew. And uh, no easy task. uh, The lettering does not look like the English lettering whatsoever. And I remember I had a buddy of mine who, like me, we were grappling with, well, is God actually calling us into the pastor? Because we had other professional ideas in mind at that time. And he would sit near me in uh, the opening days of the Hebrew class. The instructor's name was Samir Masu. And uh, Samir became a good friend of mine. Well, my buddy missed the first day or two of class. And he asked me if I would take notes and provide him with whatever's gonna happen. And so the first day, of course, you learn the, the Hebrew, lack of a better word, alphabet. There was gonna be a quiz the next day. So I decided to have a little fun with my buddy. And uh, because he was grappling like me with whether we were being called in the pastor, I thought he would kinda of check his, not his calling out. I, I jotted down the alphabet and turned it upside down you see for him and because I w- didn't know if he would check out a grammar book to see which is right side up and what's upside down and uh, I put them on these cards flip them over so that you have to keep memorizing one by one there's twenty two consonants in the Hebrew language well the next day quiz sure enough and uh, the instructor had scrambled all the lettering so that you had to put everything in proper order. And so I'm working away, and I look up, and I see that my buddy's head is turned like this. <laughs> and uh, he'd go like this, and then he would turn it like this again. He had memorized it all upside down. And um, there's Samir, and he's looking at the buddy. my buddy. Finally, the, my buddy calls Samir over and whispers in smears ear, and he just, turned. he looked at me and just went like that to me, you see. Well, my buddy eventually did become a pastor, headed off to California, good place, because they don't know up from down either. <laughs> and he's been blaming me for that ever since. Well, you found your way to Deuteronomy in chapter 6, 1 through 9. Have your Bible right side up for me. And I'd love to read to you these words. Now is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over and to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets be between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now look at those and more verses. But first of all, we're going to look to the Lord together in prayer. Now, Father, we're thanking you. This is Father's Day, but more significantly, this is the Lord's Day. we want to understand the unique dynamic of the Father and the Son within the Godhead. How the Father sent the Son into the world to die for our sins. We see the love that's there between them. And we see the love of the Trinity toward us that the father would send the son to die for our sins so father what we're asking this morning is that we understand the dynamic between the heavenly father and earthly fathers and that earthly fathers are to be the representatives of the heavenly father but the challenge is is that we are we are broken representatives Because this involves sinful representatives representing the sinless Father. So give us extraordinary wisdom in a broken world such as ours to be able to see how all this fits together in your master plan. So Father, the moments to come are important. We're asking once again is that you would... She would warm these hearts. She would engage these minds. She would shape these wills. As again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus, Him only. Praying these things again now, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the sequel to the story that began on Mother's Day where the story was told on that particular morning of standing in front of a large gathering of people out in Colorado, and an individual raised her hand and she posed the question to me, if you were to describe your mother, what image comes to your mind? And I told them a story about my mom. Well, not to be outdone then, I'm mad if you rose over, raised his hand, and said, now, if you were to describe your father, what image comes to mind? Well, the image that comes to my mind is a man now roughly around the age of 90 years of age. I've come down in the early morning hours to get my breakfast in Holland, Michigan, and he, like my mother, who had tremendous stamina, the two of them. They could go on, even approaching 90, about five hours of sleep a night. Uh, there he was, and he was hunched over the kitchen table, you see, and I can still picture him. He's got his Bible wide open, he's in prayer, and you don't barge into these sacred moments, do you? But you do process them. So when he was done praying, I walked over and said, hey, hi, Dad. And we began to talk, and I said, you know, you were raised in an orphanage. You and mom, your fathers, their fathers died at a very early age. Where did you draw your plan for family life? What was your strategy for fatherhood? And He smiled and he looked down at the scriptures and he said, this is all I had and this is all I need. Now I would do, I would officiate his funeral a short time later. And there was a stack of books all on being a better father And he was trying to figure that out, even in his early 90s. He was trying to put together the Father Plan. What I'd love to do with you in these moments together, and that we have present as well as those who are tracking with us here in live stream, is to look at this Father Plan that's developed for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's an extraordinary chapter. In many ways, there are direct parallels between what you will find in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and what you will find in Proverbs chapter 1 through chapter 9. I'll draw them out for you. Both sections deal with multi generational aspects of teaching. Multi generational. Second of all, both deal with very physical illustrations, material illustrations of being identified. Uh, one's identification with God. Third, it deals in both settings with the fear of the Lord, and you're going to see that chapter 1 of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, chapter 9 of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. You're going to see it in this, these opening verses in Deuteronomy 6 as well, the fear of the Lord. So now you tie all this together, and what we see then is that we have a A master plan of wisdom unfolding in front of our very eyes, where the earthly father is to be a representative of the heavenly father. Now, the earthly father is sinful, the heavenly father is sinless, so we've got broken representation on our hands. Some of us, our fathers, are no longer with us, some of us never knew our fathers. Others have their fathers with them, varying degrees of the quality of relationships. So what I want to do is to set the bar high. What I want to do is to draw out three significant objectives that the earthly father has before him as he becomes a representative in a fallen world of the heavenly father. Does that make sense? Now, the first objective comes out of verses 1, 2, and 3. And I'm going to put it like this for us this morning, that as you and I, as we examine the plan for fatherhood that God has given us, I want to begin by noting the personal faith that fathers are, are to have to exhibit, to exhibit. And this is stamped all over the opening verses, but I want to draw it out for you using the hebrew language of course now this is the commandment the statutes the rules that the lord your god commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it pause what we've got to understand at this point is that moses is in his latter years he's about to pass the baton on to joshua This is a culture in transition. The generation that had departed from Exodus and entered into the wilderness has for the most part passed away. This is a new generation. You've got to be able to understand what is changeless and what is changeable. Traditions come and traditions go, but truth remains forever. And so now, what Moses is concerned with are not traditional values, but rather eternal truths. And so he begins to communicate in such a way where, though he will not be privy to the experience of entering into the promised land, that will be Joshua's responsibility of leading them forward. Nonetheless, he's going to give them a master plan, strategy framework to understand how to navigate the days to come. Likewise, the earthly father is to draw out from the scriptures the master plan. It's not his, he's not the originator, but rather to draw as the earthly representative, the father he is. The master plan devised by the heavenly father And here now the Heavenly Father has drawn out for us the commands, the statutes, the rules, and so forth that Moses has previously put forth in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He then adds that the Lord your God, you see how personal that is? Now, Lord is in the English capital L-O-R-D, that is the covenantal relational name for God, and Yahweh is the way in which it's pronounced, you see, to the people that the Yahweh, your God, the covenantal relational God, commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Now, people need to have a sense of security about their future. We're dealing with that right now in our culture, aren't they? What's tomorrow going to hold? What Moses has brilliantly done for the people at this particular moment is that he has told them about the land that they are about to enter into and said God has made a promise regarding this land. And God's promises are irrevocable, you see. Therefore, as you enter that land, you can enter into the tomorrows of your life with a sense of security. You can enter into the tomorrows of life with a sense of stability, knowing that you got a promise-keeping God. Your... Heavenly Father is guiding all these various broken earthly fathers. And so, move on. Think it through. Apply it. He's going to do it multi-generationally, but first he's going to do it just with the proverbial writer in chapter 1, verse 7, Proverbs, coupled with chapter 9, verse 8, 9, 10, we do. That you may fear the Lord your God. Now, fear, you say, yeah, not quite part of my vocabulary for the way I want to relate to the Father who art in heaven, so to speak. Help me. Do our best. What we have to understand is that when you're dealing with the fear of the Lord, particularly as it's developed and enhanced in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is the basis by which obedience through faith in the promised one, we know as Messiah, comes to pass. So now they are creating, the Israelites, a culture of awareness of the sovereignty of God in the midst. Now, by doing that, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. In other words, this is a multi-generational thinker we've got on our hands here. And likewise, the earthly father is a multi-generational thinker. Long after he's gone, he's pondering that baton of truth that is being passed on and wants to make sure that people, to the degree possible, where there's the passing of the baton, the baton's not dropped, though, fallen world that we live in, that happens that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. We're talking here responsibility. In his autobiography, General Schwarzkopf recalled his childhood in New Jersey. And there was this formative event that occurred in August of 42, 1942, where Schwarzkopf was with his father and his mother in the backyard. I'm glancing at a portion of the autobiography as I speak, about dusk, when he was informed that his dad was about to head off to war the next day. After this group hug, the senior Schwarzkopf made his son, quote, man of the house, unquote. His dad, a West Pointer, destined to become a general, left the informal conference, went into the house, returned with his army saber, get this. I'm placing this sword in your keeping, son, until I come back. I'm depending on you. The responsibility is yours. And there, this young Schwarzkopf stood, standing next to his mother and two sisters at the age of seven. What's fascinating is that that sword has been passed on to the next generation of Schwarzkopfs. There's a story behind the sword. If you prefer the word baton, There's a story behind the passing of the baton. Become keepers of the stories. Talk about what needs to be transferred to future generations. This is a multi-generational teaching that's unfolding. It's to be personalized. This personal faith that fathers are to exhibit. So you're up to verse 3 its audio at this point here therefore o Israel be careful to do them that it may go well with you that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised now did you notice that it says uh, the Lord the God of your fathers again he is now taking the past in God's relationship to prior generations And he is now connecting past to the present, the present to the future. This is brilliant teaching that is now happening by this great leader in the latter years of his life as he himself now is passing the baton to Joshua. And you can imagine that Joshua is listening very intently at the way in which this this farewell, in many ways, teaching is unfolding because towards the end of the book of Joshua... Joshua would challenge the Israelites with these words. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, capital L O R D. We not you, personal. And so this earthly father has got to make certain that this faith that is being communicated is a faith, furthermore, that has been personalized, internalized, worked out in the rugged, everyday stuff of life. God promised this. The God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey and they're saying to themselves that sure beats the wilderness doesn't it And so they're looking back over their wilderness experience a nomadic life and now they're pondering the promise but they're going to have to bear in mind there's going to be endless challenges in that promised land that they're going to have to face amorites hittites and so on the canaanites battles to be fought And so now there will be a new experience awaiting them. And likewise, the earthly father is in essence saying, there will be new experiences awaiting you that I may not necessarily have had to face. But I'm equipping you with truth. Personalize it. Internalize it. Get to the heart of the matter. There's an old Chinese proverb that says a man who keeps one eye on the past is blind in one eye. and A man who keeps no eye on the past is blind in both eyes. But then I'm reminded in um, some of the Greek history and so forth. Virgil wrote that Aeneas founded Rome after the fall of Troy. and He said that Aeneas fled burning Troy with his father on his back and leading his young son by the hand. What an extraordinary parable! It's multi-generational and picturesque form, you see. And so now, for me personally, and for others here as well, this might be your—this might be your first Father's Day, and he's not here. My heart goes out to you. Does. And for others, you never got to know your Father. And there's going to be some, it's quality, and for others, less so. Some, immediate proximity, others, geographically distanced. There is such variance in a congregation of this size. But well, we've got to know, though, that in the midst of the variance, there's a constancy. There's a heavenly Father and that Heavenly Father is taking the past, the present, and the future and connecting the dots for you. But for you, ponder with me the personal faith that the Father is to exhibit. As so I ponder the memory of my father hunched over a table at the age roughly around 90. Bible in front of him. Deep in prayer. Personalizing it. Internalizing it. Well, there's a second objective, you see, I want to draw out for you this morning. Not only the personal faith that fathers are to exhibit, and you see it in verses 1, 2, and 3, but now, secondly, the instructional guidance that fathers are to provide, and we find that now in what is known historically in Judaism as the Shema. And I remember in Israel, back in 2018, hearing the Shema being recited, and it's it's a it's a it is a critical, significant aspect to everyday and Jewish life. The Shema, Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is One. His heart begins daily morning, evening prayer services. Considered the most essential prayer in Judaism, it affirms the singularity of God. It affirms the exclusivity of God. This first verse of the Shema from the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, best known in all of the Jewish liturgy, you see. It's recited in the climactic moment, the final prayer, Yom Kippur. It's also traditionally as the last word before one passes away, when one, theoretically at least, recites it with the hand placed over and the eyes. And if you're in Israel, particularly on Shabbat, Sabbath, and there are these gatherings, and the earthly father's trying to be a representative of the heavenly father, broken though he is. He is guiding them in the Shabbat experience of the Shema, heal Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We see the unity and we see the exclusivity in the opening of the Shema that's being developed here. But he's an instructional man. Now, I'm speaking theoretically. I'm speaking with intentionality. Maybe your dad came to know the Lord at a later stage of life and didn't have the opportunity to experience this. But I want to say he's looking down right now. He's probably reciting the Shema for you. This is important. And if you have that unease that perhaps your dead passed away without knowing Christ as his Lord, say that for me and my house will serve the Lord and begin a heritage principle right here now on the spot, you see. It's never too late to start new. You shall love the Lord your God that would have been a very foreign concept you see to all the other religions of that land and even in the world today islam love god fear god but notice how moses has done is he has brought together connected fearing the lord and loving the lord this is brilliant absolutely brilliant and furthermore he's connected it with what god himself has revealed in the prior chapter the lord your god I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers from the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love. That's hesed from the Hebrew. To thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments and so obedience is the outpouring of faith. It's the reflection of a faith found and committed to Messiah we know as Jesus. Look what happens here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. He circles around, does the heart again to reemphasize that. I was thinking about that when I was reflecting in the midst of the cultural uh, tumult that's occurring. One um, of the former presidents, John Quincy Adams, he was in the White House. He was pondering the nation. He was longing to be able to communicate to his children, his various sons, as well as daughter. She had written him about the whole matter of marriage, what to look for in a man. And qu- quoting now from Adams, he wrote, "Daughter, get you an honest man for a husband, and keep him honest." <laughs> No matter whether he's rich, provided he be independent, regard the honor and moral character of the man more than any other circumstances. But it's what comes next captures my attention. Think of no other greatness but that of the soul in relationship to God. No other riches but those of the heart. If you're not into history but you're into sports, I kind of like both. There's Lee Trevino, I always enjoy him. He was describing the devotion of one of his fans who asked Lee to autograph a $5 bill. I'll keep it next to my heart for as long as I live, as she said weepingly to Trevino as he autographed the $5 bill. Well, half hour later, he went to the concession stand with a $20 bill, broke change, And his autograph five was among the change. Well, you see, we live in a broken world, and we live with broken hearts. And what we need to do is to allow that which is changeless to confront that which is ever changeable. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. What does that say to you? What that says is totality. Totality. That says comprehensiveness. That says completeness. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, notice then what happens here. He now moves the whole matter of how you go about teaching. And verse six, four through six deals what to believe, and now beginning with verse seven, it deals with how to teach. Now it says, "You shall teach them diligently." Now that's an extraordinary word that I see here. In the Hebrew and I want to get this right, in the Hebrew, the word here for diligently is the image of an engraver of a monument. It's the image an engraver of a monument, who takes a hammer and chisel in his hand. And then, with painstaking care, he etches a text into the face of a solid slab of granite. Words. To be memorialized. Once done, the message is meant to stay. What we're saying then is that there is this engraving upon the heart. There is this strategy of instruction that's unfolding. You shall teach them diligently, you see. That's the word picture that's used to your children. But now notice this guy being described here. Notice how you connect the word teach at the beginning of verse 7 to the word talk in verse 7. And she'll talk of them. In other words, there is conversational wisdom. This is conversational. This is natural. This is relational. You shall talk to them. And you'll talk of them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. He's talking about the wares of life. He's talking about the winds of life. This is an amazing thing that's unfolding in front of our very eyes at this point. What he's saying now is that I want this to be conversational. I want this to be relational. I want this to be extraordinarily normal. It flows. It's not forced. Now, what you want to do is to develop a sense of relational wisdom. We've connected now Deuteronomy 6 to Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, haven't we? Fear the Lord, beginning of chapter 1, Proverbs, and again in chapter 9, book ending it. What also interests us at this point is that there is this extraordinary wisdom that's unfolding that the book of Proverbs utilizes in drawing from the principles of the book of Deuteronomy. Wisdom from the Hebrew, hukmah, masterful understanding, skill, expertise. Find out my buddy Lynn, hukmah right side up. Now, as you go on, you're up to verse eight and you're into verse nine, You shall bind them, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now in post-biblical Judaism to the present, there's this miniature box that contains verses of the Torah placed in the four chambers of the box, it's known as a phylactery. There's even one on the forearm. It's a hand phylactery. When you walk the streets, you'll see this by observant Orthodox Jews being born. But furthermore, in post-biblical practice observant to the Jews, there's the mezuzah. There's this small receptacle that's positioned at the doorway of a house. It contains here Covenantal promises and commands given by God to the people of Israel. What does all that mean? Let's reduce it to the essence. I've said that the earthly father, keyword representation. He is to be representative of the heavenly father. Challenges is that the sinful ones are representing the sinless ones. But while the fathers meant for that role, for the family, the idea is identification. You are identifying with God in the culture. And that's why the Jews would wear these various items as they would walk the streets, and why you would find a mezuzah there as you were entering into a house. In other words, the word of the Lord was being visibly projected out Words into the culture saying, This is what we believe, and this is in whom we believe. The word of God then becomes preeminent as they entered into the land of Canaan. This is how you teach diligently. Now, all that being said, then, what we've got to understand is that there is one more objective I want to draw for you, and it's found in verse 20. Down through verse 25, because thirdly, what I want to be able to say as you're looking at that is that uh, there also has to be the historical connections that fathers are to make. The historical connections fathers are to make. In verse twenty, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? He's got a question which means then that dad is accessible enough at this point to be able to entertain questions. This is natural enough, this is relational enough that there's the give and the take, the ebb and the flow, and they are dealing with the things that matter with truth. Illustration. About two years ago, it was a Memorial Day, and I was with my one of my grandchildren, and we were standing on the sidewalk, Adi and me, Memorial Day, and holding hands, and I was explaining to Adi, you see, that this is not a day of celebration. This is a day of commemoration. It's a solemn thing. I tried to take it, the past, and connect it to the present. and said so just as many laid down their lives for our national freedom, there was one who laid down his life, for our eternal freedom. I tried to find ways to say it, though, for a young girl to be able to process. So I said, that's why, honey, uh, that's why then this is not a celebration. It's a commemoration. It's solemn. It's reflective. Just then, there was, in the midst of the parade, a particular church in the greater region of Sheboygan County had some reps, and they came marching down the street, and they're clapping and they're shouting. They got candy in their hands, and they go racing up to all the various children, race up to Addy at this point, and say, Happy Memorial Day. And at that moment, my entire teaching was shot right there on the spot. That happens to you, you know. You give it your best. You give it your best. And pray that somehow something sticks along the way. Well, now, when your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, the rules of the Lord our God has commanded you? What's he going to say? How do you respond? There's the question. Does he say, go ask your mother? No. In verse 21, you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out. Of Egypt with a mighty hand. That's grace. The Lord brought us out. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh. That's justice. And now, in one fell swoop, you're combining justice and grace. And you could do that with the cross of Jesus Christ, where justice came down upon sin while grace was being bestowed upon sinners. See how you work that through? And then you go on at this point then, you're up to verse 23, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. Brought us out, bring us in. Brought us out, bring us in. You see, God doesn't take you out without bringing you in. Doesn't leave you hanging. Doesn't take you out of Egypt into the wilderness and leave you there. Brought him into the promised land. It's time to come home. Time to come home. There's Jesus. It's Joseph and Mary are looking for him. He looks up in the temple, somehow they lost sight of him. And he asks them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And then Corey Osbury pens it this way. Oh, lay your burdens down here in the Father's house. Check your shame at the door because it ain't welcome anymore. Ah. You're in the Father's house. Prodigals come home, the helpless find hope. Love's on the move when the Father's in the room. Prison doors fling wide, the dead come to life. Love's on the move when the Father's in the room. Miracles take place, the cynical find faith, and love's breaking through when the Father's in the room. Jericho walls quaking, strongholds now shaking, love's breaking through when the Father's in the room. I said love's breaking through when the Father's room. Leah Burden's down, here in the Father's house. Check your shame at the door. It ain't welcome anymore. Ooh. You're in the Father's house. And the one that knows Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior, ponders the one who laid down his life so we could understand the reality of the Father's house. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. First word of the cross Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Seventh last word of the cross. Have you pondered how on that cross Jesus bookended the concept of the Heavenly Father in the midst of the challenges he was experiencing of doing the will? of the Father who is in heaven. How does that relate to your experiences in life? Well, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, and now, just like in Proverbs, so here, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, and we will be righteous. It will be righteousness for us if we're careful to do all this commandment. Before the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the relational God, as he's commanded us. And so there you have it. And I'm standing in the doorway, and I'm pondering. Because here is this elderly gentleman, roughly 90 years of age. Bible, open. Prayerful state. Books about fatherhood off to the side? Do you need that at this stage of life? Hi, Dad. Hi, Gar. Good to see you. Dad, you were raised in an orphanage. Your dad died at an early age. Your mom's, mom's dad died at an early age. You two. You really didn't have a father figure. Where'd you develop a plan for fatherhood? He smiles. He lifts up his Bible. This is the father's plan. Let's stand together. for those from First service for those in the midst of the live stream, and there are many, maybe four gathered around a screen, maybe one this moment, processing. Help us to understand, Father, the ultimate essence of fatherhood is found in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so, Father, what we want to do at this point is to understand, yes, we have broken representation. Likewise, with the family members, there's broken identification. Nonetheless, Father, what you do is you break into the brokenness. Ironica and create wholeness. So Father, out of the midst of all this, if there are any today in these services or live stream that do not know you, but are acquainted with you, may know you in some way, shape or form as a God in the universe, but have not yet understood you as the Father who art in heaven, take him to the cross where Jesus identified you as Father. I pray now they'll put faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. From this time forward, begin to know you and call you Father. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.